Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. The Iron Bowl. Perhaps the greatest rivalry in college football. The University of Auburn versus University of Alabama. It is a heated rivalry. It goes back generations, generations and generations for the dominance of the state of Alabama. And college football, as many fans will always say, is about the passion and the energy. And as you saw right there, that moment, one of, if not the greatest play, possibly, in recent college football history, it has gone down in the record books as the kick six. Now, for those of you who follow football, you know what I mean by that. So six points for a touchdown, you know that. But as you saw right there, if that field goal would have went through, University of Alabama would have won. But as you saw there, it was fielded in the end zone and ran back for a touchdown to win the game, the kick six, as you saw right there. And I love the part where he's running, 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 tiptoes on the sideline, and then the Auburn announcer just loses his mind. Oh, my God! They're going to win the football game! Ah! He just freaks out. And, of course, because it's college football, the, the, I mean, my personal favorite part, you're not going to keep him off the field tonight. And everybody just swarms into the field. That was a heck of a moment, I'll tell you that. A moment that everybody remembers. I mean, you just Google kick six, and that, that just pops up. And you see that whole thing. You can watch it over and over again. And that is such a big moment, a huge moment that happened in the annals of college football and just general sports fame. And it was a moment where you saw it. You saw it. And this is why we watch sports. You saw the moment, the explosion of energy, the catharsis, the outpouring of emotion for what we like best about sports, that moment of victory. We love that. And in fact, if uh, some of you are old enough to remember certain sports programming where that was the opening package to discuss what you're about to see, all the sports highlight, wide world of sports. I don't know if anybody's old enough to remember that one. Maybe you watched that one, right? And think about what was the, the key statement. You probably know this one, right? It was the thrill of victory and the agony. The agony. The agony of defeat. Like, you just can't go home that night if you just lost. Like, you just, you, what's your family going to say? Like, you just can't do that. But the beautiful thing about this and why I just, I, I love seeing this and I want to show you all this is because that's what we have to focus on today. As we are going through scripture, book by book, dwelling in God's presence, looking in to see what, what is God doing and how can we live in it. Today, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to challenge you. And I'm going to help build you up as best that I can with my abilities and with God's power so that you can dwell, live, thrive, exist, and walk in victory. That's our key word today. Victory. Everybody just say it. Just say it. One, two, three. Victory. All right. You felt good. You felt that? You felt that? You felt that a little bit? Victory, right? You felt, it just kind of just builds you up. Victory. Yes, victory. So many songs about it, right? So many songs about victory, about winning, and about just like the, the glory that comes with that. But what we have to focus on today 
are two books of scripture that are in the section called the Minor Prophets. Now, the Minor Prophets, these are books that are short. That's why they're called minor. It's not like they're not important or less important. It's just they're short. They're short books. They're quick reads. It's just a few things. But these few things have so much packed in them that we can learn about to dwell in victory. So what are these books? Well, I'll give you the names of them. So you have two, two prophets, two prophets. One of them, his name is Nahum, and the other name is Habakkuk. So let's just, let's just, let's just get that out there, right? So, so when you talk about this later, you can, you can say it right. Everybody say, Nahum, Habakkuk. Oh, no, 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 Habakkuk. Get, get, get it, get, get it up, right, right up in there. Ready? Let's try it again. Ready? Nahum, Habakkuk. Okay, that was better. I heard that. I heard that. Heard that. Make sure you don't spit on nobody, all right? Make sure. But yes, Nahum, Habakkuk. These are short books, real short. In fact, they're, they're the same length, roughly. Nahum, all you have here is just three prophetic, God-inspired poems. And Habakkuk, you have three prophetic, God-inspired poems. That's it. Three and three. But what are they talking about? Well, here's the thing. As you've been paying attention throughout our time this year and last year, you know that there was times of peril for the nation of Israel, for their kingdoms that were divided. There was infighting. There was rivalry. There was military alliances. There was failures. There was moral failures. And God had prophets coming and saying, hey, listen, this is what's going to happen. If what we're doing now keeps persisting, there's going to be a result at the end that's not good. And Nahum and Habakkuk, they're right there towards the end. This is about to all wrap up. What's going to happen is going to happen. But we can learn a lot through these books about God's character, what he's about, how he operates, because God's about that victory. I can tell you right now. So let's take a look real quick. Let's take a look at some verses from Nahum. Let's start with Nahum real quick. So let's just go to chapter one, just the very first statement. So you have a little introduction that says, hey, this is stuff that Nahum prophesied about. And what is the first statement we have? Nahum chapter one, verse three. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm and clouds are the dust of his feet. Wow, that's pretty strong. God is slow to anger, but that doesn't mean God's weak. That means that God is slow to anger, patience, loving, caring, but God's got to do what God's got to do. As the righteous judge of everything, God won't let the guilty go unpunished. That's not right. And God wants to do things right by himself. And then we have verses five through six just to get an idea of his power to be able to do these things. The mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. Now, of course, verses like this, these are favorites of the doomsday preachers. They like to quote stuff like this all the time. And it really messes people's perception of the Bible up because they think the Bible is all doom and gloom. But I want you to understand something. I need you to understand something, everybody. You can take this home with you. This, what God is saying, is targeted against the evildoers of the world. It's targeted against injustice in the world. It's targeted against people who are God's enemies. And that's the key here. Because obviously with victory, there's got to be someone or something that has to be overcome in the victory. 
So obviously we saw in a sports example, you have one team against another team. Football, basketball, baseball, hockey, whatever your favorite sport is. And you know the rivalries. You know how it goes. It could be Yankees-Red Sox. It could be anything that you want. Any, any rivalry that you see. It could be Real Madrid-Barcelona, whatever you want. But the key is that both teams are trying to win. And they're trying to use all their skills. But God, his win is different. Because God's win is about justice and righteousness and doing things right. And God has to do right. He has to. Otherwise, his character is flawed. His character is wrong. God will not leave the guilty unpunished. He's got to do what he's got to do. And if you're on the wrong side of that, if you are the guilty, if you are the ones perpetuating injustice, if you are the ones that are hurting, well, just read this verse. God's character says, listen, listen, I'm watching. I'm watching. I know. I see it. I see it. This is something that the prophets struggled with. Nahum and Habakkuk both have questions for God. Say, God, you know, look, at, look, at, look at our society. When are you going to do what you got to do? And God says what he says. I'm slow to anger. But I promise you, I promise you, I will do things right. I will make things right. I will use my power to crush evil and to crush sin. I will do that. See, it's interesting because we talk about winning and we talk about God's victory and we sang some beautiful songs earlier, beautiful songs with a lot of passion and a lot of commitment and conviction. This was great. I was right here in the altar space with y'all. I mean, it was beautiful and I love it. But let's not let that be just a moment in time. Let that be a moment in time that starts an entire life of living in dwelling in that victory. You see, here's the thing. We have things that we go through in our lives. I mean, I do. I, mean, I don't know about you. I mean, maybe, maybe you're cool. Maybe you're cool. But listen, we have things that happen in our lives. We have things that, we have people in our lives that bring us down and hurt us. We have situations in our life that are just overwhelming. Things that are outside of our control. People that make decisions that end up hurting us or affecting us in some way. Acts of nature that can just, just seemingly destroy our lives. And sometimes, yes, life can feel really chaotic and hard. And sometimes we say, what, you know, God, what are you, what are you doing here? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm white knuckle hanging on here. What's going on? What's happening? Where, where, where are we going with this? But I want to I ask you something, though. And I, and I really want you to really personalize this and really think about this, right? Certain situations, not the, not the ones I said before that are outside of your control, not those ones. Just put those away for a minute. Certain situations, I have to ask you this question. You know that God is watching. and You know that God will do right. Like it said right there, I won't let the guilty unpunished go unpunished. So God's wrath and anger are poured out to his enemies. Well, let me ask you something about your life. Let me just ask you something. Can you answer this question accurately and truthfully? Am I my own worst enemy? Do I do things that put me at odds with God? Do I put, do things that put me at odds with the people who God has put in my life to love or to lead or to care for? Am I my own worst enemy? Am I doing things that are just hurtful to other people? And meanwhile, I leave a path of destruction behind me and just, hey, whatever, y'all figure it out. 
Y'all figure it out. Now I know you can identify someone who does that. I know you can. I know you can identify someone who you feel like they just like do whatever they want. No matter who they hurt. But then at the same time, we have to ask ourselves though, but my, am I, do, do I do that too? Do I do that too? Am I my own worst enemy? Am I one to, to have the, the consequences of my own actions come on me and I just blame everyone else? That's everyone else's problem, not my problem. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm cool. It's the rest of you. Is that what happens here? Is that what happens in our lives? You see, the people of Israel, it was interesting at the time. Because most people, whether it be their leadership or your everyday citizens, they thought they were cool. They thought they were cool. Hey, we're the people of God. We're chosen by the most high, almighty God. We're, 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 we're cool. We're cool. We're good. We got this. God's got our back. And, you know, God is going to punish the enemies of God. Punish and hurt his enemies. But little did they realize that as the generations went by, they were their own worst enemy. They became the very people that God said he would punish. They became it through their arrogance, through their lack of caring. And you can read this all throughout the prophets. Just people just not caring about the lowly of society t- taking care of them. Rich people exploiting the poor. Just, uh, just, just grabbing things for themselves and just leaving everyone else to starve. You see this all the time. And it's funny because they became their own worst enemy. And they needed God. But what God ended up doing was punishing them. Because God had to do what was right. He would not let the guilty go unpunished, even though it was his own nation that he built. Even though it was Israel themselves. You know what's interesting? So many times I've heard, and I understand this too, and I've been there many times. Sometimes we, want, we, we raise our hands, we say, you know, God, save me. God, save me. And it's so interesting because sometimes you got to think, for those of us who have claimed to be saved, to claim to be saved by God, who have humbled ourselves on the cross right there, to humble ourselves and say, I've been saved. You know what God's really saved you from? You know who God really saved you from? God saved you from yourself. You and I and the people of Israel back then and generations, generations, sometimes we are on a path to self-destruction. We have self-inflicted wounds. And sometimes, like the old saying goes, hurt people hurt people. So we have this pain, this hurt in our own lives, and we just say, you know what? I deserve some justice myself, and I'm going to take it myself. I'm going to do these things myself. But it's interesting because in doing that, we become our own worst enemy, and we become the enemy of people around us. So there's something that has to go on in here. There's something that has to be self-reflected to say, you know, like, am I my own worst enemy, God? Am I hurting myself? Am I, am I hurting other people through my this, this callousness, my hard-heartedness? Am I just arrogant and not listening? Am I just unwilling to do things that I have to do because I'm just selfish? Well, that's how it went for the people of Israel. But understand this. We love to see God's victory when it's for other people. But God has to conquer things in our own lives too. God has to beat down things in our own lives. So my best advice to you that I can give you, and I hope you just really think about this in your own life, 
Don't become God's enemy. Don't do it. Don't be on that wrong side. Do not become God's enemy. You see how it's like, you know, periods, it's like statements, right? Do not become God's enemy. You know, can we clap that out real quick? Do not become God's enemy. Come on, get, get real hood with it. Let's go. Do not become God's enemy. That was really natural for some of y'all. I know you didn't practice beforehand, so I'm assuming that's your regular thing. Don't mess with me. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going to assume that. I ain't the one. I'm just going to assume that. I'm just going to assume that based on the performance I just saw. So, you know, maybe you got to do that to the mirror. Do not become God's enemy. Maybe you got to do that before you go to work tomorrow. Maybe you got to look in the mirror and say, do not become God's enemy. Don't do it. God has to do right. God will. God will. God will have victory. He will. We sing songs about it. We think about it all the time. Some of us, we pray about it. But we have to make sure that our hearts and our intentions and our mindset are in the right place because we can easily become God's enemy and God will do justice. Let's make sure that we are on the right side of it. Let's make sure that we are the ones walking in step in that victory. But how do, how, how do you get it, though? Like, how, do you, how do you get the victory? Well, here's the thing. There's only one way. There's only one way. Now, it's not like a football play where you got to draw it up. No, 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 no. It's not a battle strategy. It's not like generals around looking at maps and things like that, and they're trying to figure it out. No, no, it's not like that. There's only one key to victory when it comes to dwelling in God's victory and understanding God's victory. There's only one key. Surrender. That's weird, right? That's weird. Think about that. Win. Victory. How do we do it? Surrender. Give up. What? How is that done? How can we do that? See, here's what's interesting, right? Let's have a little little thing here. Here's a sword. Here's a sword. Specifically, this is a gladius. So this is the kind of sword that Roman infantry used. This is their sword that they, they used. So they would use this in their battles. So everyone in Jesus' time was very familiar with this. They saw this all the time. So this is your, your sidearm. This is what you, what you have as a Roman soldier. But here's how this goes. We have plenty of swords in our lives. We have plenty of things that we use, whether it be our words or our actions, that can have negative results towards people. Things in our lives. But what we have to do is what they did back in older generations and older times. When one general would surrender to another, they would walk up to them, take a knee, and offer them their sword. You've seen this in the movies, right? They would just go like this and offer them their sword. Now think about that action. Think about what that does. You're saying, here's my weapon. I give it to you. You then have all the power that this weapon has to do what you got to do. I'm giving it all to you. Some of us, we have to lay down our arms. We have to lay down our hurts. We have to lay these things down. We have to stop holding on to it so tightly because we think it gives us power. 
We think we can just yell and scream at people and, it just, and just, our way will just happen. We think we can just do things and everyone's just got to deal with it because I'm hurt. Well, where's mine? But I'm telling you today, the best thing you can do, the best and only thing you can do for victory is to surrender. When we come to this space right here, and what we're saying here is saying, God, I'm giving myself to you. I'm laying everything down. Here's my sword, God. There it is. You take it, and you do what's right. You do what's right in me, in my heart, because I know that God will not let the guilty go unpunished. I know that, and I don't want to be holding on to being guilty and being sinful and hard-hearted. So God, I surrender. I surrender. And you know what God does with that? This is the great part. You know what God does with that? God says, I'll take that right there, and I'm going to put it over there. And you know what God does? He don't leave you down there like that. God says, come on up. Come on up. Come on up. Come on up. Because God is not leaving people just barren. God's not converting people and just leaving them barren. No. God is saying, you've surrendered. Now I'm going to fill you with my spirit. I'm going to fill you with my love. I'm going to teach you. And, and another point of it is I'm going to hook you up with a community of people who are just like that. I'm going to hook you up with the people who are just like that. That's called church. That's called church. So we say that, and, we, and God picks you up and says, come on, let's go. Because I got plans for you. I got something. Oh, ooh, I got stuff in store for you. Let me tell you, I got stuff in store for you for life. I got stuff in store for you. So I want to lift you up because you're going to walk in victory. Now, you notice I've been doing this the whole time, right? I've been putting this up. You're like, why are you piecing out on me, right? I've been doing this. Well, it's interesting because this, this, this right here, this right here actually has a very interesting history. Just doing this gesture with your fingers, with your pointer finger and your middle finger right here, just, just, just like that. It's a very interesting history that goes very deep, and it's, it's very interesting. But, you know, I, let me not explain. I'm, I'm, let, let me let a seven-year-old tell you. This sign is called the V for victory. Just put up two fingers, and you have a V. This V for victory sign was used in World War II as a sign that meant victory. And victory means that God always wins, and in order to have victory, you need to trust in God and believe that God is the Savior, the Messiah, and that he will always win and that nobody is better than God. God is the father of everybody, and God is victory. God is victory, God is hope, God is encouragement, God is everything. And most of all, God is victory. Was, was that clear for everyone? We're clear, we're clear, right? We got everybody, everybody learn that one right there, right? Quick lesson. Real quick lesson. Like I said, I gotta, sometimes you just got to let other people explain, you know? And like, well, who better than a seven-year-old, right? They, they can explain it. But it is true. You can just Google this yourself. This is historically has been known as the V sign, 
Well, V for what? Victory. In fact, let's, let's look at some historical examples, right? Here we've got some, some pictures, right? Let's see some pictures. All right, here we have right here, Winston Churchill, prime minister of the UK for many years during World War II. When the war started wrapping up, it was pretty sure that the Allies would win. He would flash this all the time. Bang, 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 bang. Victory, victory, victory. Right there. Let's, let's get another one right here. Let's get another one. Okay, now this is, this is an interesting photo right here. Catherine Stinson, first female pli- pilot to fly, fly across the Pacific Ocean. And when she came out in Japan, she said, boom, victory, victory. Let's get another one right here. All right, we have Richard Nixon. Now, here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting, all right? And I'm glad some history nerds in here. It's not, I'm not just the only one, all right? I'm not the only one. So here's what's interesting. You know, Nixon, he would flash out all the time. Victory, 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 right? But it's interesting because we can learn something from that. Because this was the man talking about law and order and justice. And if you know what happened, oh, there was justice and there was the law. But it was on him. Remember I said, don't be God's enemy. Think about that. And we got one more. Robert Kennedy. Moments before he was assassinated in this photo right here. Winning a primary, said, let's move on, let's do this. Bang. Victory. Walks off stage, you know the rest. You know the rest. But these people, this is a powerful gesture to say victory, to have a win. Now, when you have victory, you have to understand something. Like I said before, God lifts you up after you surrender. But there's some demands of victory. There's demands. I use that word on purpose. There's demands. There are things that are required of winners. Now, in sports, of course, you know, there's a defending champion. They use that all the time, especially if a team falls off really bad the next season. There's a defending champion. They have to defend the trophy, defend the crown, defend their championship. Well, here, there's some demands. That means they have to work harder, train harder, practice harder. It's Listen, you can get to the top in sports, but staying at the top, that's what makes things great for teams. Now, I have not experienced that as a Mets fan. I had no experience with that. I have, like, moments of it as a Giants fan. And all y'all spoiled Yankee fans out here, all y'all spoiled Patriot fans out here, you know what I'm talking about. That's it. I ain't talking about it no more. Demand number one, humility. Humility. Our victory isn't based on anything we've done. Nothing. Zero percent. Nothing. Nothing. We didn't win anything for ourselves. Jesus won it all. It's all, 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 everything. It's not partial. It's everything. Through what? The surrender to death? The humility he had? Him being God himself took the punishment for sinful mankind so that mankind could be in right relationship with the Father? That's amazing. That's amazing. Through his death, he defeated sin. Through his resurrection, he defeated death. 
It's what he did. And if we could just, as the, as the seven-year-old in the video said, if we could just trust that, trust that, and say, yes, I trust that. Let's go back to Nahum real quick. Still in the first chapter. Nahum chapter 1, verse 7. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is that capital city that's about to conquer Israel. And God says, listen, I know they're bad, but I'll deal with them too. He'll pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. That's God's power. He's good. He's a refuge in times of trouble. Discipline number two, or demand number two, rather, discipline. Discipline. See, it's interesting because there is life beyond the cross. In fact, the cross, if anything, if you think about it like this, this is the beginning of things. There's a whole path of life to walk after that. We call it a narrow path. There's a path that requires discipline. So faithfulness to God and his promise isn't only a matter of just enduring bad times and just, you know, sucking it up. It's not like that. But we have to think to ourselves, am I walking in that victory that Jesus won for me as people of God? As people of God. Because here's the thing, I could tell you, and I know I'm not the only one in here, I have a but God story. I have a but God story. See, there has to be a beginning that was before that, and then there's life now. So if you claim to be in Christ, your life is, I was like this, but God, through his victory on the cross, and now I'm like this. But what does that require of you? Discipline. Proactive discipline. That means staying the course. Staying on the right path. Not veering left or right or falling down and stuff like that. That requires a discipline that is saying, I'm going this way. Because there's only one way to go. Past is past. Leave it. Leave it there. Leave it there, everyone. Leave the line. Leave it. Leave it behind. Tell the truth. Leave it behind. Leave the rage behind. That frustration, that anger that boils over, especially those of us who are parents. You know that when you let your rage boil over sometimes, and you have especially young children, Guess what the culture and the environment is of your house? We don't talk nicely. We yell. We scream. We throw stuff. That's normal in your house. So we can't expect anything else from a child. That's what they know. Leave that behind. Embrace gentleness. Leave your bitterness behind. Leave that behind. Leave it. Leave that bitterness, the one that you dwell on all the time. It's not helping you. It's hurting you. I also, I'll go so far to say that it's actually killing you. Leave it behind. Walk a path of discipline. You know, there's a book that I came across years ago, and just the title shook me. The title. The title is by a man named Jerry Bridges, and it says, the, the title is The Discipline of Grace. Whew. The Discipline of Grace. That's a great title. And it's interesting because, it, because here's, here's a, here's a little, little part of it. He says, faith itself has no merit. In fact, by its nature, it's self-emptying, it's surrendering. It involves our complete renunciation of any confidence in our own righteousness. That means that I can't do things right 
unless God sets me right. And relying entirely on the perfect righteousness, the perfect character, and death of Christ. See, God has opened us to live in victory through his surrender. And last, the last demand, and here's where, here's where it gets real good. This gets real good, right? The last demand of victory, confidence. Yeah, you heard me right. You heard me right. Confidence. Now, I know. Now, I know. I know. Some of us, because of our personality and our upbringing and our experience, you, I say confidence, you hear cockiness. I say confidence, you hear arrogance. But let me tell you something about those words. See, arrogance is selfish. Arrogance is insecure. Arrogance is say, I have to prove myself all the time. Otherwise, well, well they're going to know I'm not the smartest guy in the room. They're going to know I don't have it all together. That's arrogance. See, confidence is actually built on a foundation. Confidence means that there are things that have happened before, and I'm going to be confident that if we do certain things, it can happen again. There's confidence that comes with this. There's a confidence that comes with being a person who walks and dwells in victory. There's confidence. See, it's interesting because the prophet Habakkuk has some interesting things to say about that in chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. Now, he said this. Now, he's, he's, he's trying to be confident in what God is doing. And he says this, how long, Lord, must I call for help? But you don't listen or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? God, why do you tolerate wrongdoing, destruction, and violence? They're always before me. There's strife and conflict. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. Now, this is a man who's wavering in his confidence in God. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. But then God says this. Look at the nations and watch. Be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. See, God is saying this. God is saying, I got it. I got it. Are you confident in me? God is asking you today, are you confident in me? Because if you're confident in me, I'm guiding you. I'm leading with you. I'm walking with you all the time. But you have to walk in that confidence that I've given you too. See, it's a great thing when a confident person walks in the room. Not an arrogant person, not a cocky person. And I I really want there to be people of God who when they walk into a room, everyone goes, oh, good, so-and-so's here. Yes, all right, good, yes. She's here. Oh, she's here? Good. Oh, he's he's on this team? We got this. We got this. Yes. Oh, that, that person, that person is, is, is taking lead on this? Oh, this, this is going to be fire. We, oh, we got this. See, that person you work with who's like that, that's some, does something to everybody in the room. Everybody kind of sits up a little straight. Everybody kind of goes like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, okay. Oh, this, this, this is good. We, we got this. We got this. So there has to be people of God who are confident in what God has done for them. And to walk in that confidence means that you're trustworthy. To walk in that confidence knows that people can come to you for wisdom, for guidance, that your words actually mean something. Because there's a confidence that's behind it. And it comes from God. Humility, discipline, 
confidence, victory. Do you want that? And I'm serious. Do you want that? I've had enough of mopey Christians. I've had enough. I've had enough of mopey Christians. I've had enough of mopey Christians. I really have. I, I, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm done with it. We need to have confident people of faith, knowing that God is true to his word. He will not let the guilty go unpunished, but that his own character is love. And he demands things from people, but it's something that's important. It's humility, a humble heart. It's discipline. So you know that that person, that's a, that's a straight arrow right there. And it's confidence to the point where when you walk in, it's like the song says, the atmosphere is changing now because the spirit of the Lord is here. But who brought that spirit? You did because you're rocking with God. You brought that spirit in there. So when you come in there, God has entered the chat. It's on now. So I'm going to ask you something. If you want to live in victory, we're going to have a time of ministry right now about this. This is your time to say, I'm leaving everything behind and I'm walking to victory. The ball is already in your hands. God has given, if you're, if you're in Christ, God has already given you these things. You just got to run to that end zone right now. Now, if you are a first-time church person and you've never heard any of this before, this is very new to you, I'm going to offer something to you. I'm going to offer you God. And a God who says that I will uphold you, that the pain of the past doesn't need to define who you are, the suffering is over, and I want you to walk in victory because you need victory in your life over things. So as the band leads us in this time, if you're going to come up here or if you're going to stand where you are, just know this. This is something that you're saying, God... I need victory. Or God, I'm going to walk in victory. From here on, victory is what I'm about. I'm not going to be your enemy anymore, God. I'm not going to be drowning myself, burning myself, killing myself. I'm not going to do it anymore. That's over. It's done. God, help me be humble. Help me be disciplined. Help me be confident, God. So if that's you, stand up. Come forward. Victory is in reach. Just reach out. Habakkuk 2 verse 4. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person, the one who's in right standing with God, the one who's aligned with God, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. The righteous person will live like that. They will live. It's not a moment in time. It's a life to be lived. Victory is here. Now. Now. Right now. And available all the time, every single moment of every day. So when you face a temptation, understand that the victory has already been won. You just got to trust it. You got to say, yes, he won. And because he wins, I win. 
And because I win, my family wins. Because my family wins and I win, my coworkers win, my neighbors win, my community wins. God is going to do right. And he wants people to do right. People, let's walk in this victory. But let's not keep it to ourselves either. Let's do something else. Let's take it beyond this. If you have a testimony of victory, please share it with us. Please share it with us. Email us. Email us at our, at our info.cfelizabeth.com. Email us. If you have a story, a testimony of victory, let's let everybody know. Just snap a picture of yourself, V-sign. Just snap a picture of yourself, V-sign. Just throw it up, V-sign. Snap a just picture of yourself, V-sign. Tag us at CF of Elizabeth, hashtag victory. And tell the world. Tell it. Explain it. Say victory. I'm walking in victory. I'm walking in humility. I'm walking in discipline. And I got a confidence now that is going to be the light of the world. That's what we need. That's what your family needs. That's what your neighbors need. That's what's needed here. That's what's needed here. And for those of you who are considering baptism, oh, yeah, that's a win right there. That's a win in victory. In fact, if you're considering baptism, don't leave. Stay seated because you're going to get more information about that. Stay seated. If you're considering baptism, you want to know more, just stay seated. Don't leave. Don't leave. Just come downstairs if you're in the balcony and just stay seated and you can hear all about it because that is a sure sign, a sure sign of victory. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your victory. Thank you that you don't let the guilty go unpunished. But God, help us not to be your enemy. Help us not to be the enemy of other people. Help us to walk in victory that brings peace. Help us to be those who bring victory to other people. God, help us to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, God. God, we love you. And for anybody here that is wavering in their faith, God, I pray that you remind them and you bring people in their lives who will remind them of your victory and that it's time to walk in that victory. God, we are here in front of you right now, bowed before you, our swords placed away. God, please fill us with what comes with your victory, with your victory. In Jesus' name, everyone says amen, amen, and amen. Walk in victory. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.